to give us hope. And we're thankful to that, Lord God. Thank you for being in our lives, Jesus. We love you, and we give you all the glory. In your precious name, amen. amen. All right, kids, you can go. God bless you. Hey, I have a word before the word tonight. So my phone and uh, the emails and the text messages that I've been getting the last, uh, the last week or so with everything going on in Israel, uh, I can't answer them all. And Tito had asked me a question today, and I said to Tito, you got eight hours. We can sit and we can, uh, we can talk about it. But um, I want to just give you a verse from Zechariah chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. It says, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about when they shall be in the siege both against Judah and against Jerusalem. That's where we are. Actually, it's where we've been since 1948. But it's been intensified. And um, the Yom Kippur, uh, Yom Kippur War in uh, 73, the uh, Six-Day War in 68, many other wars through the ages, the Intifadas. Israel, you know, has been under siege. And um, it says this, and I'll, I'll, behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling. It's talking about a drunkenness. And if you, you understand this about the nations, the nations are, if you look at the nations right now and what's going on in nations throughout the world, you know, what happens when a person gets drunk? They act stupid. Right? They say stupid things, they become violent, they do stupid things. And that's what you're seeing. And you're seeing it here in the United States, and you're seeing it, you know, again, throughout the world. But it, it goes on in verse 3, and it says, And it shall happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all the peoples, all who would heave it away. Right? They want to destroy Jerusalem. They want to destroy Israel. Right? That, that is the second principle of Hamas to destroy Israel. That is also one of the key principles in the constitution of Iran, to destroy Israel, to wipe them out. So it goes on here, again, I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all people. All who would heave it away will surely be cut in pieces. So all the nations of the earth are gathered against it. Which is what ultimately happens in Armageddon when the Lord comes back. But you look at history, all the nations, you, look at, you could look at Nazi Germany, and you go back and you look at the Roman Empire, you can go back and you look at you know, Persia and Greece and Babylon and the Egyptians and the Assyrians, they're all gone. And Israel is still there. And it's the fulfillment of the prophecy. But uh, again, I could, I could talk to you for the next 12 hours, literally, on what's going on. I will, I will share some things in upcoming weeks. I just wanted to share that one word with you. And I want to I continue. And I really want to kind of wrap up uh, Numbers chapter 28 and 29. Uh, so we have been talking about the seven feasts of the Lord, Numbers 28 through 29. This is going to be part three. I'm going to ask you to just stand with me for a reading from Numbers chapter 28 verses 1 through 2. Though We'll look at a number of different passages tonight from it. And it tells us now, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, command the children of Israel and say to them, my offering, my food for my offering made by fire as a sweet aroma to me, you shall be careful to offer to me at their appointed time. Oh, Heavenly Father, we ask that you would open up our hearts and minds to your word. 
for Lord God, you have a very important message to us tonight, Lord God, about really the way we live, the way we give, and not only in what we give, but how we give, right? Why we give, and truly the way that we give to the one who is the way. So Father God, I pray, Lord God, you sit at your feet, we open up our ears, we open up our eyes, we want to hear your voice speaking to our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray this, amen. So, again, I'm just going to give you here a, a very quick review. What we have covered in previous uh, days, we have been talking here about, again, in verse 28 through 29, talks about, really, the offerings. And it, it gets into how the Jewish people, the priests and the Israelites, were to be offering the offerings at these different feasts to God. So, the daily offering, the Sabbath, right, the new moon, and then we talked about these seven, the Passover, Unleavened Bread, First Fruits, Pentecost, Trumpets, Atonement, and Tabernacles. And I showed you that, you know, these seven, these last seven, all essentially, the first four have been fulfilled in Yeshua. We're living, we're living in the, the Passover blessing. He is our Passover lamb. Unleavened Bread, right? Uh, it speaks uh, about Jesus' burial, the first fruits, his resurrection, and Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We're living in these things, quickly approaching the Feast of Trumpets, which, right, was a foreshadow of what? The rapture. The rapture of the church. Again, the Day of Atonement, his glorious appearing, and then uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Millennial Kingdom. So here, just very quickly... We looked at the feast of Passover. Jesus is our Passover lamb. And we talked about the feast of unleavened bread, the leavened symbol of sin. Jesus, again, is our sinless savior, right? There was no leaven in the bread, and it speaks about his burial. And then the feast of first fruits, uh, Jesus, the first fruits of the resurrection. The feast of Pentecost, again, Pentecost, the two loaves, Jews and Gentiles coming together in Christ to become one. The Spirit is poured out on the day of Pentecost and the church is born. Feast of Trumpets talks about the rapture, the day of atonement, really the birth, uh, spiritual birth of modern day Israel. Jewish people being born again at the glorious appearing or at that period when he comes in his glorious appearing. And then we talked about the Feast of Tabernacles, again the millennial kingdom, the 1,000 year reign and ultimately fulfilled in eternity. So what I, what I want you to do tonight, again, we're going to focus in and we're going to talk about giving that pleases God. And we're not so much talking about what we give, okay? We're going to talk about how we give, why we give, uh, the heart that we essentially give with. So I'll ask you this question. You're here tonight, you know, you showed up here at Living Word Community Church. How did you show up? Did you, come, did you come to worship the Lord in spirit and truth? Did you come here tonight to worship the Lord from your heart? Did you come here prepared? Focused? Attentive? Or are you... This is a, I know for those of you here on Wednesdays, this, this would apply much more to the Sunday crowd. But are you just going through the evangelical motions? Rituals, you know, Sunday morning. It could be, again, Wednesday night. Wednesday night, you know, this, this can become a ritual. Sunday morning can become a ritual. Prayer can become a, a ritual. 
Giving can become a, a, a ritual. So I was, I was raised in the Roman Catholic Church where I began to see as a young child that my family's just going through the motions. And you'd go into church, and for the most part, we didn't go to church a whole lot. We were, kids were made to go to church until we made confirmation. But, you know, you go and, you know, you, you sit, you stand, you kneel, you sit, you stand, you kneel. You say a prayer, the, the Lord's Prayer, most of the time just mumbling the words, not even thinking about what they mean. You recite the Nicene Creed, and I've even asked at times Roman Catholic people, do you even understand what the Nicene Creed is saying? You know, and one of the major statements of the Nicene Creed was to affirm the deity of Jesus Christ, that he is God of God, light of light, true God of true God, begotten, not made of one substance with the Father. And they would look at me and say, no, I don't believe that Jesus is God. I would say, well, you're saying it every Sunday when you're in church, yet you don't even know what you're saying. But hey, same thing. When we come to the evangelical, and I saw this as I began to go out and I began to preach in evangelical churches, just evangelicals, charismatics, Pentecostals, just going through the same motions. The same, you know, the same motion. And you can be raising your hands, clapping your hands, singing songs, mumbling the words that are up on the screen, and have no heart in it at all. It's just, it's just ritual. It's, it's ritualistic and it's religion. No passion, no desire, no attention of, you know, the engagement of mind and, you know, and heart and, and, and body. So we're going to talk about, right, not just essentially what we give, but how we give and why we give. Now, I'm going to talk to you from the Old Covenant, then I'm going to talk to you from the New Covenant. The Old Covenant principles for giving that we've been looking at, right, in Numbers 28 and 29... So these are instructions that were given to the priests, to the Levites, and to all the children of Israel. Okay, they were to bring their offerings, right, to the priests, who would then, if it was a, a sacrifice, they would then make the offering. So here, first thing, uh, we just read this in, in verse uh, 1 and 2 of Numbers 28. The offering was to be a sweet aroma. God here says, uh, you know, my offerings made by fire as a sweet aroma to me. So I, I want you to think of this concept of a sweet aroma. Thanksgiving morning. I don't know about your house, but my house. My glands start salivating when I wake up at 6 o'clock in the morning because Sue has been up already and she's preparing the stuffing and the turkey and the potatoes and all the good stuff, pumpkin pies and apple pies, and I'm salivating right now talking about it, right? You know what I'm talking about. Maybe whatever kind of food you like. Maybe you go and buy the restaurant, you smell it, Right? It's a, it's a sweet, it's pleasing, a pleasing aroma. Well, the idea here is that our offering is to be a, a sweet aroma to God. It is to be something that pleases God. Now, have you ever been somewhere where you have a putrid aroma? I mean, have you ever been in a place, I mean, you know, maybe somewhere something has happened and the smell can be so bad that you can taste it. And man, you know that if you stay there, you're going to get sick. But if you look at the scriptures, there were times when Israel, when their offerings were putrid. 
You start reading the prophets, you start reading Ezekiel, you start reading Isaiah, you start reading Jeremiah, start reading some of the minor prophets. You see, God, God is saying to people, you know, I don't need your animal sacrifices. I want your heart. I, I, don't, you know, I don't need all these, these rituals that you're doing. Um, I want a heart of thanksgiving and a heart that is you know, filled with gratitude. So when we are making an offering, let me say this, you know, outside of you know, putting your, your offering in the basket, when you are serving God, it is to be a sweet aroma to Him. Second, a careful offering. So again, if you go back to Numbers chapter 28, verse 2, and you shall be careful to offer to me at their appointed time. I want you to look at the word careful, because careful has kind of a, it has a dual meaning, and careful can mean making sure that you're avoiding potential danger. So, if you were thinking about going to Israel right now, maybe some of some people are. And they want to go there and they want to, you know, they want to serve, they want to help, they can, you know, work and helping people in the hospitals and things like that. I would say be very careful. Right, careful because you, you could be putting your you know your life at risk because there is potential danger there. Be careful. You know, if you're if you're making a major investment, a house, maybe some major I said be careful, be careful, you know, in your in your decision. We should be living carefully. The other side of the concept of being careful is to take like consideration. To give, to give like careful attention to what you're doing. And it's not, it's not because there's great danger. It's that you want to be very careful and give attention to what you're doing to please God. You ever hold a little child? Aren't you very careful holding a little child? I could tell you this. Last night, I was in a dojo doing jiu-jitsu with a guy who's 300 pounds and another guy who was 270 pounds. And I was not being careful. <laughs> I was hoping they were going to be careful with me. You have a 300-pound person on top of you. But I was not being careful. When I'm holding my 18-month-old grandson, who is as fidgety as a, uh, trying to hold a, a wild rabbit, I'm very careful, right, in holding him. I want to be so careful. Right? Always have him, you know, hold, and not, not squeeze him too tight, you know, not let him be too loose. You could drop him. You know, when you're holding a young child, you're, you're, you're handling that child with, with just the, the most tender care and tender attention. When I prepare a message, this message tonight, I am very careful. I'm very careful handling God's word. I want to handle it and be as true, as pure, as concise, as accurate as I can be in being able to interpret the word and bring it to you. So it's not just in what I am doing, right? It is in how I am doing it and why I'm doing it. Well, when it comes to giving to God, that's the type of attention, careful attention that we should be putting on it. When you put your you put your offering in the basket or maybe you're writing out a check to help an organization or help, you know, a Christian organization or help another person. It should be done just with careful attention as compared 
to taking your dime and just throwing it in the basket. Which is what you see a lot of people do. It's just done with, you know, without any carefulness at all. Isaiah chapter 29.13 is a rebuke against Israel. It says, Therefore the Lord said, Inasmuch as these people draw near with their mouths. And these are people now just going through the motions. This is religious motions. And honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me. And their fear towards me is taught by the commandment of men, right? It's just people just going through the religious motions, giving lip service to God. And there's, you know, there's, there's no heart. And, you know, this is true of Israel. This is true of the church. I think I've, been do, I've been doing this for 40 years. It's true of people that I, I see float in and out of here. Not the majority, right? But it is true of a lot of other, they just float in and out. And they just give, they're just giving lip service to God. But their hearts are far away from God. And they're, they're not worshiping God and serving God carefully. All right, number three here. The offerings were to be given without blemish. So the concept here, if you look at, at verse 19 and 20 of chapter 28, and you shall present an offering made by fire as a burnt offering to the Lord, two young bulls, one ram and seven lambs in their first year. Be sure they are without blemish. He goes on and talks about the grain offering. Their grain offering shall be of fine flour, Mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah you shall offer for a bull and two-tenths of a ram. So the, the, picture, the picture here is you don't want to give an old animal that's ready to die. You don't want to give an animal that, you know, that's, that's torn. Maybe it's been torn or, you know, it's been attacked by, you know, a, a mountain lion or a wolf. You're not giving, you're not giving God, right, your leftovers, you're not giving God your your wounded. It was something I saw this years ago. We, we do clothing drives, and I, I I had to begin to say this to the church. I would never give my old underwear to Goodwill. I wouldn't go and buy a new you know a, a package of Fruit of the Looms. I mean, you're going to give it, you're giving your old, I mean, you're not, you know, I'm not wearing them anymore. You know, the, the, you know, the bands become so loose that they can't hold up, you know, they fall down, you got holes in them. And, you know, it's just that, but people would bring their, like, their things that, that they're never going to wear, they, they would never wear, but they will give them to somebody who's poor. And that, that, that was, and finally I had to start saying to people, you know, when we do these clothing drives, don't give God your, go, your garbage. You know, and, and you know, go buy a new, you know, go to Walmart and buy a, you know, a, an eight pack of Fruit of the Looms and give them. So that was just that, that and that's the idea here. We, sh we should be giving not what is damaged. Right, we're going to give the best. We're going to give that which is fine. And then fourth here, first fruits. So verse 26, and on the day of the first fruits, when you bring a, a new grain offering to the Lord at your, you know, feast of weeks, you shall have a holy convocation and you shall do no customary work. So the, the idea of the, of the first fruits, you're going to give that, right, the best, the best of your grain. Again, not what's left over. So you give, you're, you're giving off of the top not giving off of the bottom. 
Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 through 10 says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns, and this is a promise God makes, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. So those are, those are four, I mean, four simple principles that the Lord maps out for us, right, that are kind of repeated over and over again as you, you know, you look at the seven, right, the seven feasts and then the Sabbath, you know, the new moon, but you have these repeated and they're repeated over. So I've just cited a couple of places, but you see them repeated over and over again with all of these different feasts. So now I want to take you to the new covenant. What does God say, you know, what does God say for principles for giving in the new covenant? First thing here. We have a ministry of giving. So, you know, I, I taught on this and I've taught on this many times. In 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. A holy nation, a people of God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are a kingdom of priests. This was, a, this was an, again, it was an amazing revelation to me when I became, uh, you know, a born-again believer, a Bible believer, and I began to study the scriptures because I was raised in the Catholic Church where the priests were men who dressed in black and wore collars, okay? They were the select clergy, and the rest of the people sitting in the church, they were the lay people. Think about that. Lay people. But that's a terrible, terrible name to be calling the body of Christ, which is not a biblical name, but the idea, well, you know, if you're lay people, what should you be doing? Just lay around, sit there, don't do anything, right? You're not, you, know, you don't have to do anything. You just come to church and you sit, you don't do anything, you don't get involved, you don't serve. And then suddenly I'm, I'm learning about, again, the kingdom of priests, that we are all called to be priests and ministers of God. So in 2 Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians, if there was a comparative passage on giving, you know, every New Testament has an Old Testament comparative passage. Old Testament has a New Testament comparative passage. The New Testament, essentially the chapter on giving. Anybody, what would you say is the New Testament chapter on giving? And it's an entire chapter devoted to giving. Yeah, who said that? Second Corinthians. Chapter 9. Good. Chapter off. Second Corinthians chapter 9 is, is all about, is all about, that's, it teaches us what and how and why we should be giving. So in Second Corinthians 9, 12, so two things will result from this ministry of giving. We have been called to a ministry of giving as New Testament priests. The word is, is diakonia, and it's the word we get deacon from, but it's a word that talks about vocation. Right? The Old Testament priest, right, there had a vocation of you know, ministering in the tabernacle and the temple and offering up sacrifices. We all have specific ministries. We have all been given specific spiritual gifts. My spiritual gifts are essentially preaching and teaching and pastoring. Okay, but we've all been given gifts. And usually everyone has a number of gifts that we are supposed to be essentially discovering, developing, and deploying. Three Ds, right? That's worth understanding. We should be discovering our gifts, 
developing our gifts and deploying our gifts in the body of Christ. That is what a true New Testament priest, New Testament minister is. Sitting and doing nothing is not what God has called us to. So this ministry of giving here, again, we have a ministry and we all share in this ministry. So though I may be a, you know, a pastor teacher, I am also called to this ministry of giving. The needs of believers in Jerusalem will be met and they will joyfully express their thanks uh, to God. So we are, we are all called, again, to this ministry. Now, I, I want to share this with you. When you talk about, about giving, you all work, hopefully, right? And you spend a certain amount of hours of your life, right? 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 hours of your life working. And at the end of the week, okay, you can own your own business, you can be an entrepreneur, you can be working for somebody, you essentially receive what? A paycheck, right? Now it's probably deposited automatically. So you have been given, whatever that may be, 200, 500, 1,000, $10,000, you're given the paycheck. That paycheck is a representative and a symbol of what? Of your life. Right? Of, of your time, of your skills, of your talents, you know, that you have then spent, right, helping others, serving others, you know, doing what you do. So that, that, is, that, that paycheck is a picture of your life. So you take a portion of that paycheck and you give it to the Lord. What are you putting in the basket when the basket passes by? Do you see it? So we're just throwing our little, you know, throwing our dollar, throw, you know, throwing our ten dollars, throwing our check. Well, I said, I said, you know, when COVID happened, we went automated. We were taking in more money during COVID than we were taking in before COVID. We were wondering about, you know, having to cut back and lay off staff and take pay cuts and, you know. And God provided in such an abundant way. Our, our outreach, in fact, was reaching out through the media. We had people giving to us who had been in our church years ago, who were in different parts of the country, who were tithing and giving us offerings here to keep the church, keep the church going. But when COVID ended, everybody continued on the automatic payments system. And I said to the elders and the deacons one night, and I said, you know what? We're not giving people the opportunity to really go through that, that experience, not a ritual, an experience of putting their life in the basket. Because a lot of people just automatically taken out of their paycheck, probably not even thinking about it. So there goes the ministry of giving. And so we, we said it wasn't, it wasn't to raise more money. It was to give people that opportunity during the service because giving is a key component of worship. Just like, you know, praising the Lord is a key component of worship, and prayer is a key component of worship, and hearing the Word of God is a key component of worship. So we felt like we wanted to get people back to where, and again, sometimes I'm not in the sanctuary, and I'm doing it out in the, the hallway when the basket is going upstairs, but that is a very sacred moment for me, writing out that check. And taking that check and putting in the basket is an incredibly sacred moment 
of devotion to God where I am acknowledging to God that I am putting my life in the basket. I've told you, I've told you the story before, the Navajo Indian who walks into the all-white church and everybody's looking at him, you know, disgusted. I mean, he's in rags. And when the basket came to him, he stood up and he said to the congregation, I, I have no money to put into the basket. All I have. And he told the usher to lower, lower, lower until the basket was on the ground. And he stood in it and he said, all I can give to you, Lord, is myself. That is what we do. We give the Lord ourself when we give our offering. So that is, again, a key component, again, of giving. Now, second thing I want you to notice here, again, from uh, 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 5 through 7. So I thought I should send these brothers ahead of me to make the gift you promised is ready. Uh, but I want it to be, now watch what he says, a willing gift. Not one given grudgingly. Grudgingly. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a, a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your own heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly. Notice what he says here. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. So if you are giving reluctantly, let me say this to you from my heart. Stop giving. God don't need your money. <laughs> it is a privilege. I know that that's not something you're used to hearing. You're not going to hear it in a faith church, right? But just don't, don't give. And I've said this to me. Look, if you're serving God grudgingly, stop serving him. We don't need that. Worse, nothing worse than a sourpuss person serving God grudgingly to ward off people who come to the church. If you're worshiping God grudgingly, stay home. You know what you need to do? Let me tell you what Charles Finney said. You need to go to a quiet place and you need to take a piece of chalk and draw a circle on the ground and you need to get in that circle and you need to get right with God because you're not right with God. You're not right with God. Your heart is not right with God. And, and you know, I mean, the word of God, the spirit just lays this out. Right, you know, right here. If you're, if you're doing it and you're not doing it with your heart, don't do it. Verse 7. You must each decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response for pressure for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. So decide in your heart how much you're going to give. That's between you and God. And I want you to notice here, there are different reasons why people give. And there are a whole lot of reasons that are the wrong reasons why people give. You know, pe people give out of, uh, you know, because, again, pressure. They have to. Or they give because, uh, you know, it's, it's like grim duty. You know, well, it's my duty, but there's no joy or cheerfulness in that duty. And some people give because of fear. If I don't give, God is going to punish me. I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to have financial problems. And there are people who just give to get. And by the way, the scripture here, this is what this, cha this chapter talks about this. But that should not be the motive to give. Now, let me just, I'm going to bring you to the story of the, uh, the widow who gave her two mites. Which is one of the most misunderstood stories 
in all the Bible. Because when, when this story is, is preached by most preachers, what do they do? They elevate this widow that this is the way you all are supposed to give. Wait, what a great way to twist people's arms. What a great way to manipulate people. What, what a great way just to deceive people, right? That you need to give, you need to give it all. You need to give it all. Single moms, give it all. Widows, you give it all until you have nothing left. Because that's the way the widow gave. I want to show you. Let me take you to the passage in Luke. And I could easily jump into the story in verses 1 through 4 of chapter 21. Let me just read to you because, again, these, these, chap, these chapter sections sometimes don't do justice. And again, they're good. Because, you know, I wouldn't have known to tell you to go to Luke chapter 20, verse 45 to 47 without them. But they frequently break the, the, the train of thought and the, the flow of meaning. So, again, they were, they were not in the original text. <laughs> they were added on. Some were added on in the 12th century, 14th century, 18th century is when most of them were finally completed in the entire Bible. So just... Look at Luke 20, verse 45 to 47, which is a rebuke to the Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, okay? Uh, Then in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, loving greetings in the marketplace, the best seats in the synagogues, and the best places at the feast, who devour widows' houses. Don't you notice those four words? Who devour widows' houses. For pretense, make long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. How do they devour widows' houses? How, how were the Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes devouring widows' houses? Give. Right, give, give, give. You give. You give so that God doesn't punish you. You give so that God blesses you. Give, 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 give. Until they didn't have a house to live in. And meanwhile, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were living in luxury in their little McMansions. So notice that that, that you you can't remove chapter 20 from what is said now in 21. Now, and he looked up, right? Right in the midst of saying that. He looked up and saw uh, the rich putting their gifts into the treasury, and he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. So he said, truly I say to you this, uh, that this poor widow has put in more than all. For all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God, but she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she had. So we elevate this woman. You know what? Jesus isn't elevating her. There's nothing, he, he said nothing about her salvation, nothing about her being right with God. I'll tell you one thing that she was, she was deceived, she was conned. She was manipulated into giving her last two pennies and then going home to die. And maybe she had children. Maybe they're all going to be on the street together. It it would be like me standing up here and saying to the single moms and the widows here in the church, you need to give it all. Listen, you you need to sell your house and give it to the church because God, God is going to take care of you and God's going to bless you. Sound familiar? Have you seen some of the television evangelists? 
The manipulating and conning that they do. While they, while they live in seven different mansions and have two uh, Lear jets. So Jesus, Jesus here, this, this is a rebuke. This woman is giving for the wrong reasons. This woman is giving out of fear. I don't believe it was because of, of, of you know, it wasn't the health and wealth gospel. But she's giving out of fear. She's worried that if she doesn't listen to what these, these prominent religious teachers are saying, that God is going to punish her. So it's really, it's really a, a, you know, a, a sad story. What is the one, the one motive for giving in the Christian life? Yeah, it's love, right? right? It, it, look, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 14 to 15. The only reason that you should be here tonight is because you love Jesus. The only reason you should be serving and the people serving in the nursery and the people serving with the kids upstairs, and people in the sound room, people doing TV ministry, is because of the love of Jesus. The only reason I should be here is because of the love of Jesus. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Because he died for me, I want to lay my, down my life and I want to live for him. All right, one more, one more thing here. The blessing of giving. So there is a, a, a blessing of giving that you see in verses 8 through 11. And he says, and God will generously provide all you need. Important, important interpretation of the word need and God will generously provide all you need, not all you greed. <laughs> he promises to meet our needs. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, uh, they shall freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. Remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched. By the way, notice this. You will be enriched in every way. So it's not just, you know, enriching you materially. You will be enriched in every way. He's going to enrich your spirit. He's going to enrich your soul. He will enrich your relationships so that you can always be generous and when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. But that, again, that should not be the mode of forgiving. Which, which this is the central motivating factor for giving in churches today. If you give, God is going to bless you. Some guy, years ago, I, one of these TV evangelists, they sent me a they get, your, you know, they get your name, you're a Christian, and then they get you on their mailing list, but he sent me this um, card and it said that he was told by the Holy Spirit that I need to give $1,000 to his ministry. And, you know, and he said that God will multiply it by tenfold. So if I give 1000 I'm going to get $10,000 back. And I wrote in black magic marker on it, if that's true, you should give me $1,000 and God will give you 10000 <laughs> Never heard from him again. <laughs> you know how many angry, 
jaded people there are who want nothing to do with God because they have been conned and deceived by these people. Just like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So, again, these two passages give us a, a great... We should give. Right? Just, And we should give the way that pleases God. Our offering should be a sweet aroma. We should give carefully. We should give of our first fruits. We should <laughs> never give anything with a blemish. Don't give your old underwear. And as the ministry as New Testament priests, we should give willingly, right? We should give out of love, and we should give and enjoy the blessings that come that God brings into our lives as we give. But giving is a ministry, and you have been called to that ministry as New Testament priests. Amen? Amen. Tammy, would you come up? I'll close in prayer. Father, thank you for your word, Lord God. Thank you for the calling that you've given us, Lord God, as New Testament priests and as ministers, Lord God, of giving. Father God, I just pray that this word would just sink into our hearts. We wouldn't walk out of here, Lord God, and forget it in a moment, but that it would make a difference in our lives because God truly loves a cheerful giver. And in Jesus' name we pray this, amen.